I grew up low church Baptist, which means that I didn't have all this highfalutin Presbyterian stuff around me, the vestments and, and all this wonderful thing, seasons and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, I, I must tell you, I have come to embrace it after 40 some odd years of being Presbyterian, and especially the liturgical seasons. And I especially love Lent. And transfiguration always coming before Lent. It prepares us for Lent, don't you see? And so every year, this is a very exciting time of the year for, for we get to do transfiguration and then we get to move into Ash Wednesday, we get to move into Lent. It's all, it's all kind of like dominoes falling and it's a beautiful kind of a thing. Uh, the, the pattern, I, I've learned that you can teach really good theology through the, um, through the uh, seasons and I think you can, I think that's right. But you know, I was stunned to find out that for other traditions, transfiguration happens on a different date. In fact, the older tradition of the Feast of the Transfiguration happens at a very, very different date. And go, go home and Google it. Just Google the Feast of the Transfiguration, and you will see August 6th, August 6th, August 6th, just all the way through everything. You won't find this date, frankly, for transfiguration. Now, that was stunning to me. Especially when I remembered what happened on August 6th, 1945. Do you know what I'm talking about? When the B-29 superfortress took off from the Tinian Island and dropped the first atom bomb on Hiroshima. Did you know that the Japanese people uh, protested Oppenheimer, the movie? It won, what, I mean, excuse me, it was nominated for 13 Academy Awards. Three hours long, by the way, if you've sat through it, and I haven't, it's a, it's a really, really interesting movie. The reason they protested it was, one, it was paired with Barbie in the advertisements, but two, much more important, it never dealt with Hiroshima. It only did so in abstraction. And you know, you can get lost in abstraction. You don't have to deal with the real stuff in abstraction. It didn't deal with it. So, so finally, they're going to allow Oppenheimer to be um, released, to be shown in Japan. But can you blame them? I think I've told you uh, before about my first week, um, freshman uh, preparation for college. At William Jewell College, we went a week early, the freshmen, to get prepared for college. This was 1970. And um, I think I've mentioned to you before, the, the books that they had us read, one of, one of them was, was Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. The other was John Hershey's Hiroshima. And also during that week, we saw a film on the Holocaust. This was, uh, I was 18 years old. Freshman orientation to college. I dare say that would not happen today. Parents might raise up in protest, but it happened. And somehow, I must say, it didn't seem strange. Um, because most of us were, 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 were um, 
coming to college after having uh, avoided the draft to go to Vietnam. Especially the white ones among us. We were the privileged ones who knew how to avoid the draft. Now, now to be sure, I, I got it honestly. I was in the first lottery, and my number, something, these kind of things you never forget, right? When you graduate from high school and they have the lottery and you go look what it is, my number was 248. So they never got to me. So there I was in college having to deal with some pretty horrific realities because that, that, was the, that was the world in which we were living. It was the height of the Cold War. It was the world in which we were living. And so it didn't seem very strange. And yet at the same time, I must tell you, reading John Hershey's Hiroshima made me realize why the Japanese people might have protested the showing of Oppenheimer. It is haunting to me that perhaps somewhere on that military base on the Tinian Island on August 6, a military chaplain may have been conducting service and read this text from Mark's Gospel about a transfiguration amidst another horrific transfiguration that launched us into an age of violence the likes of which I hope we never see again. But some people saw it. Mark's story is fascinating. And it has to be connected, you know. Because it starts with six days later, which connects it to the prior story. And the even more interesting thing about Mark's story is that it is repeated almost exactly in Matthew and Luke. The synoptic, the so-called synoptic gospels. They're called that because they are related. They share the same sources. But from, from one place in each gospel, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples give all kinds of things about who people say that I am. And then Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus predicts that he will be the first passion prediction. And you remember what happens then. Peter says, get behind. Peter says, no, 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 no. You're not going to be crucified. And, and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Peter. And then he pulls all the disciples to him. And he says to them, if you are to follow me, you are to pick up your cross. It is a profoundly significant story. And that notion of picking up the cross is, I believe, connected deeply to the transfiguration story when God in a cloud says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. What are they listening for? They're connecting the dots all the way back to cross-bearing. Now, this has been a significant feature in the Christian life from, from, from the get-go. You know, John Calvin said the sum of the Christian life is cross-bearing. Our own John Calvin said that. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, 
It's been um, interpreted, as you can imagine, in a variety of ways. Some people say um, that cross-bearing is about accepting the crosses of your life, the pains, the sufferings, even the oppressions, even the abusiveness of life. It's something like that. And in fact, that's been a predominant interpretation. But there has been, thankfully, recent interpretations that have gone in a very different direction, which is that cross-bearing is not accepting the crosses of life, but actually naming and resisting them. That cross-bearing is actually, by its very core, agitational. It's trying to get us out of our stuff and to name the stuff that is going on around us, the stuff that we, we are likely not to want to name. Some of you may remember the uh, great uh, philosopher Hannah Arendt who uh, wrote a book on Adolf Eichmann and coined the phrase, the banality of evil. It was a very controversial phrase. And it's made even more controversial because in some ways it's been countered with respect to Eichmann. She thought he was actually just being a bureaucrat, Eichmann that is, the architect of the Holocaust, that he was just being a bureaucrat, a mindless bureaucrat going about his work. We found out since then that he was anything but a mindless bureaucrat. He was a bigot to his core. He was a Nazi to his core. But the banality of evil still speaks to us. It speaks to us with power about how we get used to violence in our world, how we get used to bigotry. We get used to public figures who, who call immigrants and, and, and political opponents vermin. My God, we get used to this stuff. How do we get used to that? It's not hard to see. I mean, when we watch the PBS NewsHour every, almost every night, and, and when it says war in the Holy Land, I don't know how they named it that way, but they did. They would say war in the Holy Land. I want to turn the TV off. I just want to turn it off. I don't know about you. I just can't watch it anymore. I just can't watch it. The horrors. But if I understand the banality of evil of what Hannah Arendt is getting at, if I understand what cross-bearing is about, what we as Christians must be about is the very opposite. And that is naming it. Naming the violence of our world, the bigotry, the hatred, the racism, the homophobia, naming it for what it is, naming it specifically. Audre Lorde said that suffering will never be healed unless we name it. I have an exercise that I do almost every day in my prayer life. It's called the cross-examine. And in the cross-examine, I take, take the stuff that's in my life the violence that has kind of become infused in my life, the stuff that's there, and I name it, and I place it before the very living God, the resurrecting God, the compassionate, justice-seeking God. And then I seek to imagine myself in the image of God. I seek to imagine every other human being is in the image of God because they are. And I seek to imagine the earth as, as theologian Sally McFade called it, the body of God. 
and to be about healing the violence of the world. Piece by piece, name by name. It's hard work. It's not easy. But if you, know, you know it's what Jesus was about. Whenever you hear about Jesus, and this especially happens in Mark's gospel, exercising demons, don't get confused about that. Don't think that's something terribly exotic. That's, some, that's simply naming it. That's naming the violence of the world for what it is and seeking to place it before the very living God who seeks to heal it and seeks to agitate us toward being wounded healers in the world. That's what it's about. So I thank God for the... Uh, um, the powers that be at William Jewell College who had us read John Hershey on my first day of college. I'll, I'll be frank, I don't remember much else about college. <laughs> but I remember, I remember John Hershey. I remember the story that he told. And I dare say it, 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 it made a pacifist out of me. But more than that, more important, it took me to the God who I believe is bringing resurrection out of the violence of the world, the God who is bringing mercy and healing, the God who is seeking to bring justice. It took me to the God who is agitating us all to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, for the grace of your presence. You are the being in our being, the becoming in our becoming. You interconnect us with our own lives, our histories, and our our bodies and our families, our churches, congregations elsewhere, our cities, our world. You are the God of resurrection and life who indeed does bring life out of the violence that we know that we see that gets inscribed deeply upon us. You seek to exercise that violence, to heal it, and to agitate us to bring about your beloved community in our world. In Christ's name, amen.